My name is Lori Hayden. I am actually I'm retired from the state of Texas. I'm an attorney and worked with the state of Texas for many years and re retired two years ago. And now I'm um, I guess I'm an advocate and a volunteer. You say you guess you're an advocate and a volunteer, so you yeah. kind of worked your way into it. It wasn't an official thing. Right. I volunteer fairly regularly with Justice for Our Neighbors, the Austin region, and that is a nonprofit organization that provides legal services to immigrants, primarily asylum seekers. I, I also volunteer with Austin Sanctuary Network by giving people rides to San Antonio. Everyone who is pursuing their immigration case who lives in Austin has to go to San Antonio. We're in the San Antonio region, and so they have to go to San Antonio for all of their court appearances. They have to go to San Antonio for ICE appointments, and they have to go to San Antonio for BI appointments. BI is a subsidiary of GEO, one of the for-profit companies in our country that is making billions off of the government in uh, detaining immigrants. They also run prisons, but specifically today I'm talking about immigration. Yeah. Uh, they, they run detention centers, which are basically prisons for immigrants. And then BI is a subsidiary of GEO, one of these for-profit companies that... Um, I guess leases to the government. Uh, like as a contractor or something? They Yes, they're, GEO is a contractor, okay. BI I believe has its own contracts, but if they don't, they're a subcontractor of GEO. Mm -hmm. Either way, they're getting paid a lot of money from the federal government. Um, and what BI does is I guess essentially lease monitoring equipment. So ankle devices, which immigrants call grietes because they really are shackles, and everything's proprietary. The ankle device, the charger, the battery, they're all proprietary. Um, so, I, through Austin Sanctuary Network, I uh, take people to San Antonio usually for one of those three things. And that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, mostly. Yeah. So you actually know a lot about the immigration issues that are very important today. People are talking about it today, and I wanted to ask you about that. I'm sure you have a lot of concerns with what's going on, and I'll just ask an open-ended question. What are some of your concerns or things you're thinking about regarding immigration? Oh, so many concerns. I, I hate the fact that ICE and Customs and Border Patrol, their budgets have just exploded over the last several years. Um, I hate that they're, it's such a military operation and we're treating people who are fleeing the most unimaginable circumstances like criminals. I mean, we're treating them, we shouldn't <laughs> treat anyone, including people who have committed crimes, the way we're treating people, but in particular, people who are fleeing literally for their lives and they come to our country and we're putting them in prison and we're putting them in shackles and we're making them find rides from Austin to San Antonio at least once a month to have their griette viewed by BI so BI can build the federal government or they're going to ICE just to check in sometimes for years they have to do this while their court cases are proceeding which and those are also taking longer and longer um, I'm concerned, so I, I'm concerned about the budget, I'm concerned about the way we treat people, I'm concerned that we detain anyone. There isn't, this is a crisis that's invented by our government. There is no reason to be detaining people. In fact, many people coming here 
all what they want to do is they want to reside here legally. They want to pursue their claims for asylum. They have no interest in living under the radar fearfully every time they see a white van pass by or every time that some time someone yells eyes. They want to live, they want to pursue their claims and they want to live here legally. And they are doing everything they can. If they miss an appointment, it's usually because they can't get someone to drive them for the two the two hours from Austin to San Antonio. Or because they have a sick child and can't find someone to watch the sick child. It's rarely, if ever, I, I suppose there are a few very rare circumstances, but it's very rare that people want to come in and then just live scared and under the radar for the rest of their lives. And in fact, another reason detention is just stupid and not at all necessary is because federal law has the provision for alternatives to detention. And one of those, which includes the grillettes, which I also don't like, um, but it includes a case management program. And in fact, during the Obama administration, there was a case management program called the Family Case Management Program. <laughs> and um, it, was it was only introduced and implemented on a pilot basis, I think, in just a few cities. But it showed a 99% effective rate because what it provided to people was assistance. It provided transportation. It provided someone to help them wade through these difficult, awkwardly worded notices they get sometimes from the court or from ICE. It helped the, it provided support in so many ways, just having their immediate needs met so that they can actually take a day off to, you know, to go to San Antonio to an appointment. And it was enormously successful, and I think we should bring that back, and I think, or something like that, and I think we should make it nationwide. Casa Marianella, a, a wonderful program here in Austin, provides some of those services, case management services. In fact, uh, when I was working with a nonprofit law firm, and we had a client who uh, was detained in Laredo and was for almost a year before he won his asylum claim, prior to his asylum hearing, which kept re getting rescheduled month after month and prolonging his detention, he also was in a for-profit detention uh -huh. facility, um, we submitted a parole request to ICE to have you know, to have him released pending his asylum hearing. And we submitted, along with our parole request, a letter from Casa Marinella saying, here's what we will do. We will make sure he meets, goes to every lawyer's appointment, every ICE appointment, and every court hearing. We'll provide English classes. We will provide health care. We will provide job training assistance. And we will provide housing. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful service. And it's very effective and much less expensive than whatever we're paying per day per person in detention for months, years. I've known of people who were in detention in a for-profit facility for two years wow. and longer. So you've worked with these people directly. I guess it bears repeating. You're not just saying things that you've read. You've right. worked directly with these people. Right. Um, what do they tell you about this whole process? The detention process or the asylum well, <laughs> seeking process? No, you're right. That's a good question. So we'll start with um, the detention process because that's obviously one of your major concerns mm -hmm. that you talked about. The facilities I have been familiar with somewhat, or at least I have known people in two facilities, uh, three, two different facilities in Laredo and then one in Pearsall. And I had a client, or I worked with a lawyer 
I was the subordinate attorney to another attorney, and we represented someone in Pearsall. Um, my experience was just, it, they're just awful places. They weren't, these are not, you know, these are ICE detention. They're not what you've read about CBP. They weren't necessarily overflowing. They weren't necessarily crawling with, you know, what, maggots or whatever, but, but they're soulless. They, they are prisons. The, in fact, the attorneys, you know, you, ha you go through a screening process to get in. Then you often wait sometimes for hours to see your client. There are only a few rooms for attorneys to meet with their clients. Um, I found the first person I met with in one of the Laredo detention facilities, she has lived in this country for many years and um, was very uh, health conscious and did a lot of, um, you know, she was always healthy and did exercises. And I asked her, was there a gym in this facility? Well, no, there's nothing like that. Do you have books to read? No. Is there a library? No. Um, in fact, one thing she did for entertainment was I guess they shared a newspaper and she would copy onto a piece of paper, the Sudoku, in every newspaper so that she could do that. You know, that yeah. was her one thing she, entertainment that she devised yeah, yeah, for herself. Yeah. Because, and she also was in um, detention for two years. These are asylum seekers, though. So um, what do they say about the asylum process? I... It's confusing and it's getting, well, I don't know that the asylum seekers say this, but the lawyers would say it's okay. getting harder. Okay. So for instance, uh, many people, there are five different categories that uh, an asylum seeker has to prove they're a member of. And one of them though, and it's really the most common one, is that you're a member of a particular social group. And there are lots of you know requirements to meet that, to, that term is defined by a number of ways. But the other thing about that is that you also then have to prove that your persecution was because you were a member of a particular social group. So for instance, a person I knew in Laredo, um, just to cut to the chase, she yeah. lost her asylum hearing. And one thing that had happened to her, and, and her claim was um, non-gender conforming, lesbian. She had a number of, of groups that she said she fell under, lesbian, non-gender conforming. And one thing that had happened to her in her home country is that uh, gang members surrounded her, and, and they were all armed, of course, and uh, demanded to know if she was a girl or a boy, and then proceeded to remove her clothing in the neighborhood and in, fr and in front of the gang members and people who were just sitting on their porches looking on and then um, demanded money of her. Well, the judge denied her asylum claim. He found she was a member of a particular social group. He acknowledged that bad things had happened and he acknowledged that bad things would likely happen to her when she went back to that home country, okay. but did not find that the persecution was because she was a member of a partic that particular any particular social group. It was just bad people do bad things, so sorry, you lose, basically. Okay. It was horrendous. Okay. Um, she lost her case. She appealed and just recently found out she had lost her appeal. So she will be going back to Honduras if she's not already there. And uh, so that to me is, is the, one of the most horrific things is the difficulty in convincing not all 
um, judges, but more and more judges, um, that the persecution was because you're a member of a particular social group. They will acknowledge, yeah, you, I've even heard that they acknowledge, yeah, you're probably going to be killed when you go back, but it's not because you were, whatever, a lesbian or a member of this church or whatever. It's just because there are bad people doing bad things to people. So then who qualifies if that's the case? All right. Well, that, that's not a question for. Well, I, I will say on a happier note that yeah. uh, what the client in Pearsall, um, 20 year old transgender woman from one of the three Central American countries that we most of our asylum seekers are from, and uh, was in Pearsall for eight months. Uh, that was a successful asylum claim. Um, this person was, you know, raped by gang members as a child, uh, raped by police officers. Um, but it, 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 and the judge did b believe that the persecution was based on her identifying and being perceived as a transgender person. So um, that was, of course, a happy story, but uh, it, it took so much to get there. She yeah. still spent eight months in detention. She, of course, has suffered enormous trauma. Eight months of detention did nothing to alleviate that trauma. Many of the guards refused to call her by her preferred identity, gender identity. Um, in fact, I think, at least in one case, she was um, mistreated because of it. So, so, so I guess back to the detention centers. I mean, yeah. they are prisons. They um, are pretty soulless. I personally haven't heard of actual abuse, although there certainly are reports that I believe are credible. I myself haven't talked directly to a person who alleged you know, abuse in the facilities. But in every other way, I mean, all of these things, this type of detention, any detention increases all of the trauma or exacerbates the effects of all of the trauma that everyone has gone through. And it's horrendous. It's, again, for profit. And in fact, another problem of these uh, for-profit detention centers is that for the people in them, when they have their court hearing, the courtroom is in the detention center. You're on televideo or whatever it's mm -hmm. called with the immigration judge in San Antonio. Oh no, that's Laredo. In Pearsall, the immigration judge is actually there. But the bailiff is an employee of the for-profit company, in GEO in this case. And um, the for-profit companies often interfere with the whole judicial process in that they will decide they need to put everyone on shutdown because either they say quarantine, but it's been very unclear what that was based on in the past. They'll say, well, this unit's on quarantine, so nobody's having court hearing this week. So they'll be rescheduled for another month or another two months. Or sometimes it's they'll decide somebody's misbehaved, so they're in some sort of isolation. And that is abuse. So, you know, I believe that is abuse. I, I guess I misspoke earlier when I said... I haven't sure. specifically heard of abuse, because I think that is. Sure. Um, the other issue about the immigration courts is that they are under, the immigration judges are under the Department of Justice. They're not under the judicial system. They're not under the legislative system. They're the, under the executive branch. So currently, William Barr, right. a highly right. politicized attorney general figure, he's in control of the immigration judges. 
that's and that's how it's been. I mean, that's not particularly new, but you'll see a lot of cries to make um, the immigration courts uh, Article One courts, so that they would be, I think, like tax courts, like federal tax courts, or even Article Three courts, which are literally under the judicial, you know, branch. Um, either of those, in my, I'm fine with either of those, but just to take them out of the DOJ branch, the executive branch that is highly partial at this time right. to, I mean, they're setting all of these immigration policies. Is that lack of checks and balances? Am I Hugely that? lack okay. of checks and balances, yes. Okay. I'm not a lawyer, so everything you're telling me is new, and, and for an average person who doesn't know about this stuff, you're in Central Texas, you're volunteering for these legal organizations, what can people do if they want to help out in that way or learn more about this stuff? Well, I, you know, there are so many good organizations, of course, contributing to RAISIS or American Gateways or Catholic Charities or any of the organizations along the border, or any of the organizations that are providing support to the border. Um, also, Justice for Our Neighbors um, is a good, again, a nonprofit organization that provides legal support. Uh, small, there are only two employed attorneys there. Uh, then there are a couple of us who volunteer. Uh, well, in all fairness, I do get reimbursed for my mileage, but, you know, basically we're volunteers um, there, and um, I'm trying to think, calling your legislators, I yeah. call, uh, have I called this week, but I'm going to start back up next week, calling and asking, you know, the other issue is just this huge ballooning of funding that we give to ICE and Customs and Border Patrol, I mean, it's just horrendously increased in yeah. the last... 10 years it's I don't know I'm bad at numbers I'm not going to throw out numbers but it's I think it's around 7 billion I think ICE's budget now is around 7 billion started out at around 3 billion when it was created I think um, it just it's terrifying to me and and you know these ICE and Customs and Border Patrol they're siphoning money away from things like FEMA and so you know we've got a hurricane barreling down again toward Puerto Rico and who still hasn't been you know, fully, fairly or fully helped right. from the last hurricane. and But all of our money is going to this, again, government-created so-called crisis that isn't one. It's if, and I keep telling my legislators when I call, even if you don't care about the people, which by the way is shameful, you should at least care about the money. You Republicans say you care about the money. This is a terrible use of taxpayer sure. dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all of those things. 